Today's daf is daf pei tes. We're holding ten lines from the bottom. Drua lekameder of Yehuda. Let's review. It's, we're really in the middle of a sugya. We have to review from the uh, top of the Amida uh, of, of Pei Chesamid Beis. We had the following Shiloh. Let's go through exactly what happened. There was a certain woman that had been married to a fellow, the first husband, whose name was Abba. And she had a son with him whose name was Shmuel Bar, Shmuel Bar Abba. So she had a son from a, a, a previous marriage. And then she married another fellow whose name was Rebbe Abba. And what she did was that she had certain properties brought into the marriage, which are called nixemelug, uh, meaning that the second husband had usufructory rights. He had permission to utilize those properties. The, the, the benefits of the properties were, were for him. The payros were for him to use. Now, generally, all things left alone, if she would predecease her second husband, he would inherit those properties. On the other hand, if he would predecease her, so ostensibly they are her properties, they would not go to his Yarshim, they would go to her Yarshim, and therefore it would go to her side of the family if in fact the husband predeceased her. But what she did was she gifted them to her son from the previous marriage. She wrote over those properties to her son, Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba. Now what she was hoping to do was circumvent there being any way that the second husband could end up inheriting those properties because normally if she would die, they would go to the second husband. But now that she thought in her mind, if she writes them over to her son, from the first marriage, so now if in fact she predeceases her second husband, those properties now would go to her son because she wrote them over. Now she was, wouldn't be able to mess with the use of fructuary rights, the Kenyan payros, the rights to use the payros that the second husband had, that would re- remain intact uh, uh, because uh, as long as he's alive, he has those rights in those properties because that's, that's, that's his right. But the question is, what happens when he would die? So when the second husband would die, now does he have the, the asset, or has the asset been circumvented and been given over to Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, the son from the first marriage? That was the situation. And the Gemara brought down that this seemed to be a machlokus in the Amoroyim, because it says that Rav Shmuel Bar Abba went to Rav Yirmiya Ba'ab, I'm not sure if there was a related, not related, but he went to, to get a psaq from Rav Yirmiya Ba'ab, and Rav Yirmiya Ba'ab said was Ukme Benichse, he means he established that this asset belongs to Rav Shmuel Ba'ab, which means that obviously not right this moment, because it's still the usufructory rights are still in the hands of the second husband. But I guess what it means is when the second husband will die, it will not be inherited by the estate of the second husband, but it would transfer completely to the estate of Rav Shmuel Bar Abba. Now, that's what Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba ruled. 
Rebbe Abba, which was the, was the second husband, said that doesn't sound right to him. And he went to Rav Oshia, and Rav Oshia went to Rav Yehuda, and Rav Yehuda paskined based on his Rebbe Shmuel. And what did Shmuel say? Shmuel said that the halacha is that Aisha Shemachra Benixim Alug, that Bechayabala, if a woman tries to sell Nixim Alug properties, properties that the husband has usurfructory rights over them, right? So therefore, in such a case, that when she dies, when she dies, the husband takes it away from the buyer. Meaning, meaning in terms of legally, the legal stati- status of that sale is revoked. It now belongs completely to the husband. Meaning, there appears that there would be some level of efficacy were the husband to predecease her. Because if the husband were to predecease her, then technically it would fall to her, and then she's, since she sold it over, so retroactively it would go to the buyer. But if in fact she predeceases the husband and it never actually f- came back to her from the husband because he was using it for his usufructory rights, so therefore in such a case where she predeceased him, so the, it revokes the sale that she made. That's what Shmuel ruled. Therefore, Shmuel says that in our case, therefore, said Rabbi Yehuda, based on my teaching, my Rabbi Shmuel, it comes out that the gift that this woman of the Nixaluk that she made to her son is since she had predeceased when she died, okay, the, the, the second husband revokes that gift. That means he could take it back. He revokes the gift and he takes it completely and it does not pass to Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba like Rabbi Yermimi Abba said, but says Rabbi Yehuda, based on the teaching of my Rabbi Shmuel, I believe that what should happen over here, the right thing to do is that it goes to the second husband and not to the son of the first husband. So that was the machlokis that that was... uh, was 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 uh, presented at uh, 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 on on the top at the top of Pechesimet Beis. So the Gemara says that they went back to Rav Yirmeyer Abba and they said to Rav Yirmeyer Abba that this is the way Rav Yehuda Paskin based on the teaching of the great the Gadol Shmuel. So Rav Yirmeyer Abba responded. He said like this: Listen, I'm not. I don't want to take away from the covet of Shmuel, but at the end of the day, Atana trumps. And I have a Mishnah. There is a Mishnah, I believe it's Maseches Ksuvis, but my Mishnah trumps Shmuel. What is the Mishnah that I have? So the case over there was talking about as follows. It says that there was a father that wanted to create like a living trust. He wanted in his lifetime already to show his son that he wants to bequeath his assets to his son. But he, is, he does it in a way that he still has the rights of the payros. Son does, the father doesn't want to give it all to the son while he's alive. He could, he could gift it all to the son, but he'll end up in an old age home. So he doesn't want to do that. So what he does was he gifted it, he wrote it to his son, and he retained the usufructory rights, the payros the father retained. 
the son went then and sold the properties, sold it to a third party. Now, that's the case. Now, what does the Mishnah say? I believe it's in Ksuvis. What does the Mishnah say over there? The Mishnah says that each party really has limitations of, of, of what they can do while they're both alive, right? The father cannot sell it outright because he already gifted it to his son. The son cannot sell it outright because the father has usufructory rights. So what is the din? So the Mishnah reads as follows. I'm going to read it inside. But it says like this. So, uh, so it says, Macharaav, Machurin ad sheyamos. If the father wants to sell his usufructory rights, he has a way he could sell those rights up to the point he dies, because that's when he retained those rights. All right? Macharaben, but let's say the son tried to sell it to a third party. Ain lo lokeach, the lokeach cannot take possession of it. Until the father dies. Why can't the buyer take possession of it? Because the father, as long as he's alive, has the use of fruit-free rights over those properties. But it says, up to the death of the father. Now, the Bryce now, I mean, the Gemara now is inferring from the Mishnah, though, what happens, though, as soon as the father dies, the Mia. Is So nevertheless, the Lekech then at that point would take possession of the entire property. Now, we're going to see that there's a Machrot Lokesh, Rabbi Yochan Rish Lokesh, how to learn this scenario of what's going on over there. But we're going to see the Halacha, there's three cases in Shas, the Halacha follows Rish Lokesh, over Rabbi Yochanan, which is why the Gemara assumes that the correct reading of the Mishnah in this case would follow the way Reish Lakish reads it, not the way Rabbi Yochanan reads it. And how does Reish Lakish learn it? He learns like this, it's mashma that when the father dies, it goes to the, uh, to the Lokeach, the person that the son had sold it to. Irrespective of whether or not the son predeceased the father. Means if the son is still alive, then I understand it's a no-brainer because the son is still alive. So technically, when the father dies, it should go to the son. But what is the son? The son immediately after he takes possession of it from the father. But what did he do? He sold it to the third party. So it comes to him, goes to the third party. I understand that, and that's not going to be a machlokas. Even Rabbi Yochanan agrees that that would be the way to understand that part of the mission. That for sure would make sense. But Rish Lakish learned since it never told us. Whether when it says, all it says is when the father dies, it goes to the third party. And it did not make a distinction whether or not the son was still alive or not. So it's mashma, it goes to the third party, even if the son predeceased the father and never actually took hold of the asset. That never actually came into the possession of the son. Going, this is the understanding of Kuresh Lakish. Like Rish Lakish, the Amar Loshna Mesa Ben Bechaya Av, the Lo Asuliya Deita Ben, Loshna Mesa Abechaya Ben, the Asuliya Deita Ben. It makes no difference that the son predeceased the father when it, and therefore it never came into his hands, or whether he, he, the, the, the father predeceased the son, and it did come into the hands of the son. Either way, Kanalokeach, right? 
That's the way Rish Lakish learns. And that's based on the Machlokas, how to learn that Mishnah, is based on a Machlokas, Rabbi Yochan Rish Lakish. Do we say that having Yusuf Rukri rights in something, Kenyan Peiros, is ostensibly like having a Kenyan Aguf? Or it's two completely different things. The person who has the rights to use it doesn't mean it's at that point in time it's considered like it's actually his. But Kenyan Peiros is love Kenyan Aguf. And the Gemara says that Rish Lakish's position is that Kenyan Peiros is not considered like Kenyan Aguf. Therefore, since the father has the right to use it, doesn't mean that the principal is considered his. The principal is considered to be the son's. And therefore, the son has the right to sell it, even if the son predeceases the father, the sale stands. Whereas according to Rabbi Yochanan, since while the father is alive, he has the rights to use the payrolls, therefore the son at that point really did not technically have a right to sell anything because he doesn't own it. At that time, the usage of the payrolls determines that the father is the owner and only after the father dies, if the son is still alive, can the sale go through. That is, was the machlokus. But again, since we're going in the sheet of Reish Lokish, because that's the way we paskin, the way to learn the Mishnah was it doesn't matter. Either way, whether or not the son predeceased the father, father pre, uh, or the father predeceased the son, but the son's sale is a valid sale because the father's usage of the payrolls does not preclude the son from being able to sell it. Therefore, says Rav Yirmiyabar Abba, I disagree with Shmuel. I hold that in our case, it's true, this is Nechsemelug, so it's true that the second husband's using the payrolls, however, that doesn't make him the owner. Since it's not the owner, who is the owner? The wife is still viewed as the owner, and what did she decide to do? She bequeathed it to her son, and that's considered to be a valid transferal. Therefore, when the wife dies, at that point when the wife dies, the husband can't inherit her because she's already given it over to her son. And when the husband dies, now he no longer has use of rights over it, then it all will belong to the son of the second husband and will not go to the estate of the, the son of the, of, the fir, of the first husband and will not go to the estate of the second husband. That is the position taken by Rav Yirmir Ba'aba, feeling that he is a Tanoic support from this Mishnah in Ksuvis or Baba Basra, that that is supporting his position. So now that's where we segue into today's daf. So Ahadrua Lekameid Rav Yehuda. They brought back to Rav Yehuda the position of Rav Yirmir Ba'aba, that Lechora, Shmuel, how did Shmuel contradict a Mishnah? The Mishnah says clearly, with at least the way Rav Yirmir Ba'aba explained it, going in the sheet of Reis Lakish, that a Kenyan Peiros does not preclude the person who has the guf from being able to make the transaction. Kenyan Peiros is lavka Kenyan guf, and therefore the father's giving it to the son has was considered to be uh, 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 that the son owns it even if the father is using the payrolls and when the son sold it to the Lekeach it's a valid sale and when the father dies it goes to him completely so too should be the ruling over here that when Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba received it from his mother he now becomes the owner and when the father Rabbi Abba died oh I'm sorry when, when, when the mother when the mother died and then the, it did not. It does not go back to the the, the Rabbi Abba 
because Rabbi Abba doesn't own the principal, he only had the right of the payros, and when he will die, then Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba becomes the full owner of that property. That is what was brought back to Rabbi Yehuda, and let's see what Rabbi Yehuda's response was. So Gemara says, my Rabbi Shmuel was aware of that Mishnah, and what Rabbi Shmuel said, that the case that we're dealing with, where the case we had that was brought before Rabbi uh, the, between the Machlokes of Yirmi Bar Abba and Rav Yehuda, that case is not comparable to the Mishnah in Suvis, and therefore you cannot ask that as a question on Shmuel. Now the problem is that Rav Yehuda remembers Shmuel saying that it's not comparable, but it wasn't clear why. Why is it not like Rav Yirmi Abba? Yirmi Abba seemed to think pretty ironclad that it's a great and it should come out that Allah is not like Shmuel. So why, my timer, why is it not comparable? So comes along Rabbi Yosef. Now this is a little technical, so I'm gonna say it outside and then we will read it inside. What does Rabbi Yosef Yosef say? Rabbi Yosef, I'll tell you what, even though I never heard it from Shmuel, I never heard it directly from Shmuel, but I will tell you what possibly Shmuel might have meant that the Mishnah is not the same as our case. Okay? <clears throat> the shot is like this. In the case of the Mishnah, we have a father bequeathed the property or gifted the property to the son. Now let's understand that for a moment. The son anyway, and when did he say, you're gonna take hold of it after I die? Because I'm retaining the rights, the use of fruit three rights when I'm alive. Now let's understand, what did the father actually do? Since this is the son and this is his father, what would have any way have happened after the father died? What would any way have happened? The son would have got it anyway. So really, what did the father gain by doing this? So says Rabbi Yosef, must be the pshadis like this, must be that you cannot bring me a proof from here. I, I will tell you normally, I will tell you it could be that normally Kenyan payros is not considered to be, I'm sorry, that normally it could be that the Kenyan payros, let me think if I'm saying it correctly, normally it could be over that, that the Kenyan payros is considered to be like a Kenyan aguf, that if somebody has the usufructory rights, then the, the, uh, the other party cannot transfer that asset to a third party because the usufructory rights trumps the other person who does not have the usufructory rights ability to make a sale. And therefore, and therefore, in the case of our Mishnah, in the case of our Mishnah, that it could be that the gift that the woman gave to her son was not one that could trump the father, the, 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 the second husband's right because he's the one that had the usufruktui rights and therefore he could pull it back after the death of the mother and that would revoke the sale when the mother dies and the father and like uh, like like uh, it, it could be like Shmuel wanted to say and Rav Yehuda wanted to say 
I in the Mishnah, we don't see that. I'll tell you why you don't see the Mishnah. Because in the Mishnah, the case is that it's a father giving it to the son. The father, the son, and after he dies. After he dies, he would get it anyway. So maybe the shot is, is that where he would get it anyway, so maybe in that case, when the father gives it over, maybe it's considered to be a stronger gift than what normally would happen. Why is it a stronger gift what normally would happen? Because if it's just giving him the rights for after Misa, and I'm just retaining his fructory rights, that would have been anyway why would it happen. Why would that have been anyway what would have happened? Because when the father would die, the son would go Right. So it must be that the intent of the father over here was to do more for his son. What must it have been? Because it gives the son the right to sell it now. It must be I'm giving you the full rights of it, even though I'm still retaining your fruity rights, but it's not like a regular case of Kenyan payrolls. And therefore, in this case, in this case, the Kenyan payrolls are not like a Kenyan aguf. But you cannot bring me a right to, uh, to our case of the, when it's Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba's situation, then it would not be a rise. You cannot bring, so it says Rabbi Yosef, therefore, that's what Shmuel meant. When Shmuel said that this is not a good proof to our case, that's what Shmuel meant. So I'm a Rabbi Yosef. Bishloma, it would make sense. It means it would be comparable to our case of Rav Shmuel Bar Abo, Itani Ipcha, if the case of the Mishnah and Ksubas would have been the opposite. Hakosim Nechosim La'oviv, that a son gifted his own assets to the father. I want to give this to you after I die, and I am keeping the Yusuf Rukti rights. I'm giving the Beiros. So then, in such a case, right, if it would have been the, the flip side, so, Ikel Mishpat Mino, and then you would be able to bring a proof from there that if the uh, father went and sold it, is that a binding sale or not a binding sale in the case where the, son di- the father died before the son, right? Can the, and then the son dies, can the third party say that it's mine, it was sold to me, or is that sell not a good sale because the Kenyan payers that the son retained for himself precludes the father from having it sold it to the third party. And then if you would, if, if that would have been the scenario, then you could bring a raya that if the sale is a good sale, then you would say, would, it would have been a good sale and the fructary rights do not trump the ability to sell it outright. Then you could have said it's a comparable case to our case of Rav Shmuel Abba. But Elahashta, but the case in the Mishnah is not that way. The case in the Mishnah is the Ktaniya Kosim Nechasavlov. No, it's a father who wrote it over to the son. What? Now, what's he doing? Mishum de Royal Yarshahu. The son is the first in line to inherit it anyway. And therefore, since the son's the first in line to inherit it, the father really wouldn't be doing anything for the son that's special. So, what is he doing? He must be doing something special. What is he doing special? He's giving it to him in a greater capacity. So, Dafka, in this case, do we say that the son is able to sell it even if the father retained the payrolls. But normally, the person retains the payrolls, the person that has the right to payrolls, precludes 
the other party from selling it outright. And therefore, if you go back to Rabbi Shmuel Bar Abba's scenario, where the first, the, the second husband had the rights of Paris on it, that would have precluded the wife from gifting it to the son from the first marriage, she would not have been able to do it because they don't have the svara. He's not the natural heir. The natural heir of the wife is the, is the second husband. So maybe in such a case, what she did would not have the ability to transfer it to her first husband where she predeceases, uh, to the son of her first husband where she predeceases her second husband. So Amale Abaya. So Abaya said, so it comes along Abaya. He says, Abaya says to him, he says, one second. I don't agree with you, my Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef. Why? He says as follows. He says, is a son never, if a, is a father never able to be the heir of a son? A father could be an heir of a son. How could a father be the heir of a son? The son dies and doesn't have any children. Uh, Correct. So a son dies. So technically... Even if you would have said that it's talking about a case where the, father, the son said to the father, I want you to get it. It's possible that he's talking about an heir, right? He could have been the heir if there's no children. Elamai. So you're going to say, yes, okay, fine, but we don't make the assumption there were no children. So therefore, if there are children, then obviously what is the son trying to accomplish? The son had his own children. So obviously, what was he trying to accomplish? He was trying to circumvent... Giving it to the children. And, and instead of giving it to the children, what is he trying to do? He wants to give it to the father. father. Right. So therefore, we understand what he's doing. So it's no, there's no, there'd be no extra special gift involved because we understand really he's just trying to circumvent. He says, well, the same way you understand that, then even when the father gives it to his son, he's going to say, well, what's he doing? He's not doing anything that wouldn't happen anyway. It's not necessarily true. Because who says we're talking about a situation where there was only one son? Maybe there were five sons. Now, if there were five sons, then what is the son, what is the father trying to do? Maybe he wants to give it to all of them equally? No, exactly the opposite. The reason he's gifting it to this one is trying to circumvent. Give it to the father or give it to one son now, lost. We said like this. We said, if I would have had a case where it's a son to the father, we wouldn't have said it's a special gift because maybe it's talking about a case where there were no sons. No, he's not talking about when he's an heir and he was the one going to get it anyway. You would say it's talking about that the son had other children and we understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to circumvent it going to the natural heirs and give it to the father instead of his other children. Right? Okay. Right. So the same thing you could say the other way around. Father to son. Father to son doesn't mean he has to be doing something special because otherwise why he's doing it. I'll tell you why he's doing it. It could be talking about that he doesn't just have one son. He has five sons. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to circumvent that the property, instead of being divided amongst his five sons, what should end up happening? Going to one son. And if that's the case, then your, your whole argument is not a good argument. Meaning, if it was going to happen anyway, must be he was doing something extra. No, it doesn't mean he has to be doing something extra because he's doing something we understand why he's doing it. Because had he not done this, it wouldn't have happened anyway. What would, happen if, what would have happened if had he not done this? It would have been divided five ways. So therefore, you don't have to say, therefore, it could be that it was doing something extra. And that's why in this case, 
Vikinian Peros is separate than the Kenyan Aguf. No, it's exactly the same as any other case. And therefore, in this case, if we see over here Kenyan Peros is not like a Kenyan Aguf, you could apply it to our case as well by Shmuel Bar Abba, and therefore, that can't be what Shmuel was saying, that that's not analogous to our case, because you, your logic is faulty. That can't be what Shmuel meant, you can't compare them, because I could still make the comparison. So Shmuel must have meant something else. Are you with me? So therefore like this. Yeah, yeah. So Mar says, Atu bro yoris, what? Only a son can inherit a father. Abalo yoris bro, but a, a father can't inherit a son. Elo lavrochino lenixame bre. How do you know? Maybe it's talking about that the son is, uh, uh, wants to uh, give, he's giving it to his father because he wants to, uh, he wants to circumvent it from going to his sons. So, well, if you understand that that's what the father would, the son would be doing if he wants to give it to the father, then even by the father giving it to the son, maybe it's the same thing. From the rest of the other brothers, the other four brothers, Asi. And therefore, you don't have to say, there's no, there's no reason to say that he's doing something, giving a gifting in an extra special way. It's a normal gift. And yet we see that this gift they circumvents the Kenyan payrolls, so therefore you see that Kenyan payrolls is not a Kenyan aguf. It doesn't take over the ownership of the principle. And ownership of the principle can be made even if somebody else has the uh, rights of the payrolls. So therefore, Ella, so we're back to our question. Then what did Shmuel mean that you can't compare the Mishnah in Ksuvas to our case? So Elamai ain't a domila Mishnah saying it. What does it mean it's not comparable to our Mishnah? <coughs> it says the Gemara, I'll tell you what it means. It means as follows, is that you're right. The halacha is like Rachel Akish. And normally, Kenyan Peros is not considered to be a Kenyan Aguf. And if Kenyan Peros is not considered Kenyan Aguf, that's why in, in, in Masechus Ksuvus, is that where the father went and gifted the item to his son, right, and retained the usufructory rights. If the son went ahead and sold it, the sale would be a binding sale, irrespective of whether the son predeceases the father or does not predecease the father. Either way it works because Kenyan payrolls is not considered a Kenyan aguf. The Kenyan payrolls do not pre- preempt a sale from hap- happening because the Kenyan payrolls is not considered a Kenyan aguf. So, but, and, and, and that is the normal halacha. However, one of those places where the Sanhedrin went to, the ten places, Sanhedrin went to, before the Churban uh, Beis Amik, there's a place called Usha. And in Usha, they made ten takonas. We'll learn more about this tomorrow. But the, one of the ten takonas were, is that when a, when a man has the rights of Nixemalug, has properties that the wife brought into the marriage, and he's using those properties, the Chachamim said, even though technically, if she sells those properties to a third party, what's going to be the status of that sale? What is going to be the status of that sale? Since the husband only has the usufructory rights, he does not own the actual principle of it, the sale would be a good sale, until, and, and, at his, and when he dies, what would happen? It would go to whoever bought it. 
Right. However, the Chachamim said that's going to create a lot of Sholem bias issues. Why would it create Sholem bias issues? Because she's pretty much preempting the husband's ability to in, incorporate this property, to inherit this property and become part of his estate. Now, it's true, the husband died first, it would go to the woman, but she's preventing it from going to the husband if she dies first, right? And that could create shalom bias. So what did the Chachamim say? The Chachamim said that even though normally Yusufruk three rights do not give you ownership over the assets, there is one exception. Where is that exception? When the wife wants to try to sell it? When the Nixamalug, when the wife is trying to sell the Nixamalug that the husband has. There she's not able to do it. Therefore, says Shmuel, you cannot bring me a riot to the case of Shmuel Bar Abi. The Mishnah is not talking about the Takonis Usha because we're talking about a case where, a, where a, a father's bequeathing something to his son and there Kenyan Peros are not considered Kenyan Aguf and it has nothing to do with Takonis Usha. But the case of Rav Shmuel Bar Abba where she tried to circumvent the second husband from owning the Nixay Malug in such a case, there you, that, that will not be the ruling because she does not have the ability to do that Based on the Takona of Usha. Adam, you're with me. <coughs> and that's what Shmuel meant, by the way, when Shmuel said. It's not equivalent. You can't compare the two, correct. Let's see it inside. Shmuel says as follows. So, uh, Ella, my ain't a domino Mishnah saying the whites are not comparable to our Mishnah, Mishum Takonas Usha, because of the Takona in the city of Usha. The Amber of Yosi Bar Hanina, but Usha Eskinu, it was established in Usha that Aisha Shemacha Beniksamiluk, when a woman tries to sell Niksamiluk Bechayabal in the lifetime of her husband, the Mesa, and she dies. So, Habal Motzmir al the husband comes and he annuls the sale. He preempts the sale and he takes it away from the buyer. I technically that should not happen because since Kenyan Peros is not considered Kenyan Aguf like we saw from Reish Lokish, so here technically the sale should have gone through. Special Takana that in this case the Kenyan Peros, they strengthened the Kenyan Peros to make it like a Kenyan Guf. That's how Rashi explains it. So, Amravidi Bar Avin. Av Ananamitani, the sister of Idibar Avin, support for this concept of the Kenyan, uh, of, 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 of in Usha, the Takana made in Usha, that Kenyan Peros would be considered like a Kenyan Aguf, that you cannot, that you cannot circumvent a person's Kenyan Peros by selling the Nixamalug. This can actually be brought, a riot could be brought from the following, I believe it is, a, it is a Mishnah in Marcus, correct? It's a brisa. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I thought it's a Mishnah in Marcus. The word says it's an in a We we also learned like this in a. Yeah, brisa. It's a brisa. All right, usually means a Mishnah. But anyway, What did we learn in the brisa? It says as follows. So let's set up the case. Two Adams show up and they say that, you know, that, Ru, uh, that Ruvain and Leah, who've been married for the last 15 years, we were present when they got divorced. And not only that, we also saw that the $10,000 Ksuva, he paid her. Okay? 
comes out that Ruvain and Leah are living together. So that's not a raya because maybe they got back together. But Adim show up and say that the first Adim, the first group was Zomamin because the date that they gave for the divorce and payment of Ksuva, they were with them on the other side of the world. And they were on a cruise with them in, in uh, the Baltics and there's no way they could have seen that the, there was a divorce and the Ksuva was paid up. Now, let's calculate what, what loss did the Adam Zomamin, what loss were they trying to create or would they have caused Leah to have? Not, in, not necessarily inherit the husband, because a woman doesn't necessarily inherit the husband, but she would not have been able to collect her ksuva. Because if the husband actually would end up divorcing her, those Aiden would basically say, have said that, that she already recollected Aksuva, he would no longer have to pay her Aksuva. She would have no longer any type of leverage to collect her Aksuva because they're Aiden saying that she already collected. With me so far? Right, okay. Right. But the question is that let's say the Aksuva is worth $10,000. Can we say that the Aiden should pay her $10,000? What are the Aiden going to argue? So they're going to argue as follows. One second. It is true that she would have lost her ksuva if the husband were subsequently to die or divorce her, then she would have lost the ability. But who says that what would have happened? What if she predeceased her husband? She predeceased her husband, then what? Not hers. If she predeceases her husband, no ksuva is paid. And the, okay. that $10,000 would have gone to the husband's heirs. You with me? So yeah. the point it's saying is therefore, to say to them that they have to pay a full $10,000, they're gonna say, that's not fair, that's not, that's not justice, because we didn't for sure call, call it. So therefore, what do you do? So the, the Brysa, and the Mishnah, it's actually a Mishnah Exodus too. the Mishnah in Mesech's in, in, in Marcos, says what you do is, it, this, it, this is what's called today on the stock market a future. Meaning what's the potential that to determine the value of something? How much would somebody be willing to pay for, to pay her? I will pay you for your Ksuva with the taking the risk that if you predecease your husband, it's going to be worth zero. Whereas if your husband either divorces you or dies, then I'll get $10,000. Now, obviously, a person's not going to be willing to give her $10,000 for that, correct? Correct, because they don't know this. So, but let's say the guy would be willing to give 60 cents on the dollar. I don't know what the number is, but let's just say. So, therefore, the Adam Zomamin should only have to pay her for the loss that they were going to incur because they basically, what they did was... They, by saying it's paid up, prevented her from finding a third party and selling it to the third party for $6,000. Correct. Right. That's the, rule. That's the ruling over there. Let's see it inside. But, uh, so, Haray, he talked of Misham Shosa. And behold, she's still living with a guy and she is still dealing with him like a husband and wife. 
and that first group of found out that we don't say that the entire ksuva now needs to be paid, the $10,000 needs to be paid. The only thing they have to pay is the benefit that she could receive. It's a discounted rate. The benefit that she could receive had she tried to sell the ksuva, that is what she would be able to collect. And what continues the brysa? Is the tovasano, what is that discounted rate that represents the true value to her, right? Omdin, we assess. Come, Adam Rotalitem Tsevasa, how much would a person be willing to pay? What are the two sides of the risk assessment? Shalzua, for this, for this person, Sha'im, this Armaloin is Garsha. On one hand, if she becomes divorced, uh, widowed or divorced, then what happens? She would collect the full suva, and therefore he, the guy paying for the future, would collect the full, the full suva. But on the other hand, Imesa, on the other hand, if she dies, what happens if she dies? He predeceases the husband. The husband keeps it. The husband's able to keep it. Says the Gemara Gavaldik. One second. If you tell me that we don't follow the Takana of Usha, so if you don't follow the Takana of Usha, then what did we say she would be allowed to do? Even though the husband has use of fruit three rights, what would she be able to do? But if we don't follow the Takana of Usha, then she could transfer it. She could sell it. So then why is the other side of the equation that if she dies, the husband would inherit her? It's not true. Even if she might be predeceased the husband, that doesn't stop her from being able to sell, which means that the value what's contained within this ksuva should be higher than what we're taking into account because the, 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 the amount they're causing her to lose is that either way, the person who would have bought it Either way, whether, the birth, whether she dies or whether she gets divorced, either way he would be able to uh, hold on to the asset. So therefore, but we're not saying that. We're saying is that the, the side of the asset, which is the risk side, is, is that pre, she predeceases. That must assume she's not able to sell it. Why not? Must be because of Takanas Usha. Takanas Usha says that she's not able to sell. Now, what does it mean she's not able to sell? She's not able to sell and take it away from the husband. Means if she dies, the husband's going to inherit her anyway. If you did not have Takanas Usha, then if she sold it, even if she predeceased the husband, he would not be able to inherit it. All right. Now, Now, if you would think that we don't agree with the Takanas Usha, all right, then Amayir Shenabalo, why would you say that if she predeceases the husband, he would divorce her? That's not true. I mean, he would inherit her. That's not true. When she dies, it should be completely transferred to the person that, 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 that bought it. Now, again, that still might not take away from the use of fructary rights the husband has, but it means it belongs now to the buyer, and he would have to wait out the use of fructary rights of the until that husband dies, perhaps. So says Abaya again. He says the proof is not a good pro- proof at all. Listen carefully. We have been talking about over here is nixem alug. Nixem alug is any asset that the woman brings into the marriage 
right? The halacha is she brings it's hers, just that the chachami made a special takana that the husband can use it. That's called nixemalug. Whatever's written into the ksuva is not called nixemalug. Whatever's written into the ksuva is called nixetzon barzel. It's a whole different category of property. What that means is follows. Nixetzon barzel works as follows. In the ksuva, the husband commits himself to pay the 200 zuz, which is the either Minatora it's required, or the it's the base ksuva, plus this Tosefis ksuva. Tosefis ksuva is anything that he wants to give more to her, like like a spruce up, make a sweeten the deal. Okay, Instead of being a $2,000 ksuva, I'll make it a $10,000 ksuva. That goes in the ksuva. In addition, she also can say, you know what, I'm putting the fallen properties in the ksuva. Now what she puts in the properties in the ksuva, what that basically means, the husband can use them outright. He can diminish them. He can do whatever he wants with them. However, if there is a time when that ksuva has to pay back whatever these properties have been evaluated for, at the time of when they were evaluated and they were written into the ksuva, the husband has to pay back that value. That's why it's called son barzel. It's like iron sheep. It's, it's, it's bound in, in, in iron. It can't be shifted. Now, that's not the same thing as nixtamaluk. Nixtamaluk is not allowed to deplete the keren. The only thing he's allowed to use... Yes. Is the Pharaohs. By Nixetzon Barzal, which was written into the Ksuva, he's allowed to deplete the asset completely. Because at the end of the day, if he ever divorces her or he predeceases her, she's going to collect from the estate the full amount of what was written in. Now, two different things. Says the Gemara, when it says over here, when the Adam are causing her loss of the Ksuva, when the Adam are causing her loss of the Ksuva, over there we're referring to. What's the, the, the actual ksuva? Which is the nixay tzon barzel. The takanas usha never went on the nixay tzon barzel. There wasn't, what the, the, the takanas usha was going on, nixay malug. By nixay malug we say that if he has the peros and she has the karka, so technically she should have been able to sell the karka, but she can't because he's achilles peros, holds her back from selling it. But you're trying to bring me a raya that therefore you see she can't sell the karka. We're not talking about, but they were not talking about selling the karka of nixay malug. He's talking about selling the karka that's in the ksuva. That's not nixay malug. That's Nixetzon Barzel. The Akonis Usha never went on Nixetzon Barzel. But it's causing her to lose what she would have lost in the Ksuba because she would have been able, they said, you got everything the Ksuba should have got. You got your mana, Masai, your Tosefis, and the Tzon Barzel. It was all paid for. Right? That was the case over there. So therefore, what should they have to pay? Someone says, well, the over there, she could have sold. No, Tzon Barzel, they never, they, so they, they didn't have Tzon Barzel that she could have sold. There was no din, Takanas Usha, going on Tzon Barzel. You can't bring me a raya as to the fact that Kenya Paris Lafka, Kenya Guf, and by, by Tzon Bar, by, by Nixa Maluk, they said, yes, it is. We're not even dealing with Nixa Tzon Bar, uh, Maluk over there. We're dealing with Nixa Tzon Barzel. That's what the Rabbi says to him. So says the Gemara. Let's see it inside. Um, right, so anyway she can't sell, which is why over there in a Khinami, it's automatically, that would be the loss would be to, she wouldn't have been able to sell. So Amr Abaya, Im Amru B'Nechzeh Malug, the din, that they were Mechazek, the husband, that she can't sell, is by B'Nechzeh Malug. Yom Rebnechzeh Malug, they never said it by B'Nechzeh Malug. B'Nechzeh Malug, there was no Takona, you can't bring me a raya for this, this Takona over there. Anyway, Bottom line is, so, that is the din in Shmuel, but you just can't bring a proof for it, the Dakonas Usha, you can't bring a raya from this, 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 this bride set, there's nothing to do with that. Amr Abaya. Now this is gonna be why we got into two days worth of Gemara over here, what does that have to do with Babakama? 
is all, this is not all, Ksuvis, I mean, what is a Makis, what are we doing with this over here, Baba Kama? It's all going to come down to this. Amr Abai, Tovis since we are discussing this, has come to our hands, this concept of Tovah Sanoah, name of Amilsa. Let me say something about this Tovah Sanoah. It's actually going to be what I'm saying is coming a little later. But what, I, what is the din of Tovah Sanoah? Let me have Amilsa. Tovah Sanoah le'isha have. Is that what happens if you have such a situation where the woman sells her ksuva? The woman sells a ksuva and she only has the tovas anah from it because it's not really worth the sale of it. It's not the face value on the ksuva. It's only what somebody would have been willing to pay. Now this money has come into her. Now she's got $2,000. Let's say 20%, 20 cents on the dollar. So she's got from a $10,000 ksuva, she has now $2,000. Now what happens with that $2,000 when she collects it? She's still married to her husband. <coughs> so what rights does the husband have in the $2,000. Do we say she has to go purchase a piece of property and it becomes nichsei melug? Or is it off limits to the husband completely? That $2,000 is hers and the husband has no rights on it at all. So says Abaya is that now, this din of Tovah it completely belongs to the woman. It does not belong to the husband at all. He has no rights to it. I mean, she can, he cannot make her purchase land with it so he could use the payros. Because if anyway would have to go to the husband, then it's a gewaldic proof over here. If anyway, that, let's say she would sell a ksuva, and that money would have to be turned over to the husband, why did the Adam have his own have to pay her anything? What loss did they cause her? What are they gonna, what, what she's gonna say? You caused me a loss because I could have sold it on the market. So what if you could have sold it? Where would it have gone? That would have gone to your husband, would have gone to you. So, Lechora, why would we have to pay you that money if anyway you wouldn't have been able to keep it? So, when it says, Lame Rulah, Adam, let the Adam say to her, My Avsidinoch, what did we cause you any loss? Iav Mezavna's law, if you would have sold it, the Tova Sanoah, for Tova Sanoah, Baal Minach, the husband anyway would have taken it from you. So it must be that in order for her to collect from the Adam's own, the Tova Sanoah, must be, says Abaya, what? She has to be the one who keeps it. So Amr of Shalman says it's not a proof. Because even if it goes to the husband, what is the husband probably going to do with it? Right? $2,000 come in from the aid and Zoman. Now his, his, that year's income has gone up to $2,000. He's going to invest it in the family. He's going to invest it in the home. So she anyway would benefit from it. So to say what loss did we cause you because you would have to turn it over to the husband, turning it over to the husband ultimately means... She would have gained from it. So it's not a raya. Could be that, uh, that the husband has a right to the money, at least as malug, that he has a right to tell her purchase the property and, and I'll eat the payers from it. It could be he still has a right to say that because ultimately she still would be the beneficiary of it and therefore they still would have to pay us. So it's not a raya. So I'm going to have So he says like this. Find the place over here. Mishum the ikar revach basic because there still would have been a revach to the house, and therefore even if it goes to the husband, she would still be able to keep it. Amar Rava, Rava said, nevertheless, hilchas so the halacha is tovas anah leisha that the tovas anah does not go to the husband. He does not have a right to say purchase land with it, so I can eat the payros. It's clear, free and clear hers. And the husband does not eat the peros. My timer, what's the reason for that? Because the din of Nechse Malug was, when she brings an asset into the marriage, 
then the husband has the direct byproduct of that asset. The direct byproduct, the payrolls of that asset, the husband has a right to. In this case, it's not a direct byproduct of the asset. Meaning the husband's asset is that he's, he's, na- he's using the, the karka. He's able to use the karka. He's, the fact that, 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 that they're paying her doesn't take away from his usage of the karka. It's not like, you so say, he has no dibs, he has no rights on that money coming in because of the asset. The only rights he has is when it's a direct impact on his usage of the original asset. But that's not what's happening over here. He still has direct usage of the original asset. The fact that there's now a secondary benefit from it, that doesn't go to him. She's able to keep it. So that's what the one says. That the payer the kinra The benefits, the direct benefits from the asset, that's what the Chacham established him, for him. But payer the payer but if it's not direct benefits of the asset, it's only a secondary benefit, then Lota Kinle Rabbonon, the Chachomim did not establish for him. Ki Asera Popov Ravuna Bred Bishumi, Bey Rav, Amri Tanino, the Takonas Usha. They said like this, they said, this is what I meant before, that this is the reason why I brought it in. The proof of Takonas Usha, or not the proof, that the fact that Takonas Usha is a Takona is alluded to in a Mishnah. This is the Mishnah that alludes to it. Where is that Mishnah? The Mishnah in Baba Kama. What does it say? It says, That encountering a, a slave or a woman is a negative encounter for a person. Why? If you damage them, you damage an Eved, you damage an Isha, you're going to have to pay. But if they damaged anyone else, Right? They don't have what to pay with. Now, it's true that after she gets divorced or after they ever gets free, they might have to pay you. But right now, you're not going to get anything paid because they don't have what to pay. Because even Nixim Alug is tied up by the husband. But if you held Takonus Usha was not a valid Takona, even if the Nixim Alug, the husband has a right to it, but she should be able to sell it and get some money in based on the future benefit of it. So, Lechora, why aren't you requiring her to sell her ksuva or sell the nixim alug in order to collect the payros and then give that to the injured party? Must be that the Dakonis Usha by the nixim alug does not allow her to sell it. They have to arrive for, for, for Dakonis Usha. So, therefore, if you don't hold the Dakonis Usha, and Kenyan payros is lavki kinna guftami, then tezave nixim alug, let us sell the properties of Malug, the husband can still eat it as long as he's alive, but Titan lay, and what money she gets in, then she turns around and gives it to the injured party. So anything more like this, one second. So what are you going to tell me? That, that, that this is a proof that there's Takonis Usha. Because otherwise, why shouldn't she be able to sell the Nixim Malug? Let me ask you a question. We had just said before, the Takonis Usha only impacts on the Nixmaluk, it's only Nixmaluk. Now, the 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 the, the, the ksuva though, that's not the Nixmaluk. The mana masayim, the the hundred two hundred, the seventh ksuva that she has in there, that has nothing to do with Nixmaluk. Why can't we say that she should sell that? We, there's a ten thousand dollar ksuva over here. She can get two thousand dollars for it. Let her collect the two thousand dollars. And pay the injured for the and pay the injured party. So therefore, that's not the you're telling me the riot. We don't make her sell that is the riot that Takaras Usha. One second. Then if that's the proof, then how, why don't we make her to sell the ksuva? Must be a different reason going on over here. 
according to your reasoning, even if you tell me there's a takonus usha that doesn't allow her to sell the nixim alug, then she can't sell completely her nechosim. She cannot sell. So then, to zabin le nixim alug, but vetitin lo. So, Mona says like this. It's true that the, that the, uh, Takonis Usha doesn't allow, this is asking another question, I'm sorry, I jumped the gun. The Mona's asking another question. If the Nix, the Takonis Usha saw, not, does not allow her to sell it completely. Right? What does it stop her doing? She can sell it, that means that if she dies, the husband can take it back. But let's say the husband dies first. Then it's a good sale. So, so it's true that the Takonis Usha only stops that if, the, if she dies before the husband, he could take it back. But if the husband died before her, right, then, so even though you're telling me that she can sell it completely, but she should at least sell the Tovas Hanar portion of it in case, that somebody's willing to pay in case what? Yeah. In case she dies, uh, in, in case he, he dies before she dies. Someone says, the Chora, what about the fact that Ella, it must be talking about, we can't, we talk about a case, the lay slay. He's talking about that there is no nixamaluk. Not every case there is nixamaluk. Means, enachinami. If there was nixamaluk, you don't, but you don't know, don't encounter, don't have, don't have interactions with women that you might end up having to have to, you don't know if they have nixamaluk or not, so you're better off not doing it. But enachinami, if they have nixamaluk, we could force them for the Toba Sanar to pay the injured party. The reason why the mission says don't encounter, because you don't know for sure. Because if they don't have nixamaluk, then you're not going to be able to get anything. So when I say, the reason why you can't make them pay even for the 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 the, the Tovah Sanah is because they might not have Nixamalug. Or once you're saying they don't have Nixamalug, then you have no Raya for Takaras Usha either. Because it could be. It's not because we can't make him sell it. We can't make, she doesn't have a right to sell because she doesn't have it to sell. But Enochanami, if she had, could be, you could sell the whole amount, even pre-cutting out the husband, because we don't have a Takanas Usha. So you have no Raya from here for Takanas Usha. So Akhanam delays the, okay, says the Gemara, fine. So even if she doesn't have Nixam, look, but every woman has a Ksuva. Now the one's asking the question. Every woman has a Ksuva. So therefore, even if we can't make them sell Takana, for, for the Nixam, look, because she doesn't have it, why can't we make her sell her Ksuva? At least, but Tobas Hano, Petitan Lay, that the $2,000 she can collect for a $10,000 Ksuva. Says Digmar, I'll tell you that this Bryce, that this Mishnah is going like Rav Meir. You can't collect on the Ksuva because if you force her to sell the Ksuva, it means she won't have a Ksuva. According to Rav Meir, it says it's also to remain one minute with a woman if there is no ksuva. And if she sold it, there's no ksuva. Therefore, that's why we can't make her sell the ksuva. So, our money, Rab Meir, he, so, Amar Asalola Adam, she shahs ishta filashahachas. Even for one moment, you can't be with a woman without a ksuva, lo ksuvasa. So, that makes no sense. What's the reason Rab Meir holds you cannot be married to a woman without a ksuva? It was actually a benefit for the women. Why is it a benefit for the women? Easy for him to go. Because he doesn't, you don't want it to be treated cheaply that he can just kick her around. But over here, even though she doesn't collect the ksuva, but if she sold it to a third party, he still can't kick her out. Why can't he kick her out? Because okay. he can't he'll have to have a third party. So the purpose of the ksuva, even a man should agree over here, it's not a problem. It's not that there's no ksuva. Just that the woman won't collect it, but somebody else will. So the protection for the woman is still in place. Says in a time of my, what's the reason Rabbi Meir says you can't marry a woman for one moment without a ksuva? Is Kadesh take kala be'en of lo In order that it shouldn't be easy to divorce her. 
But here you can't divorce her. Why can't you divorce her? If you're trying to divorce her over here, the third party is going to come, the Zavni who purchased it, and they're going to collect the Ksuva Mine. So therefore, it says the Gemara like this. So again, we're back to our question. If you're telling me, what, what, is, what is the shot over here? You can't encounter, don't encounter with women, don't have interactions that might lead to one damaging the other, because you're going to have to pay them and they can't pay you. Well, so why can't they pay you? I understand you want to tell me Nixamuluk, there was no Nixamuluk, fine. But there's Ksuva, so let them pay the Tovas Hanoah. They can't pay the full, the full Ksuva, they're not going to be able to get on the market. But the potential value of the Ksuva they can collect and let them pay the injured party that amount. Says the Gemara like this. Let's focus for a moment. What's happening over here? The injured party has a claim. The injured party says, you damaged me $3,000. Okay? You have a ksuva, if you sell on the market, you're going to collect two for it. So at least two out of $3,000 should be able to pay. Why can't they demand that? So much as the reason they cannot demand that is because in order for the injured party to have any claim, it has to be something on which they can create a lien. They're creating a lien on it. Her ksuva, they're not putting a lien on her ksuva. What are they putting a lien on? No. What are they really... Dollars. Do we say that that's hers free and clear and although she's married to the husband, he has no rights to it? Or do we say that he has a right to demand that what does she have to do with that $6,000? Invest it in property and what will happen with that property? Yeah, you should be at the bearers of it. So that's the question. So therefore, like this. So, says it has to be that it's complete, completely outright hers and he has no right to demand that it be reinvested. Because actually, if it would go back to the husband, so then we have a problem. Because the Adam Zomamin, right, they have to pay the loss they caused her. If in fact, her, and her argument is, I could have got $6,000 for it. But if in fact that $6,000 she could not use unilaterally, but she had to reinvest it, so then why can't they argue, even if you would have sold it, what would you have to do with it? You would have to reinvest. It means you would not be able to have used it either. So therefore, we didn't really cause you too much of a loss. You hear the problem? So the fact that we say no, that, so it must be that's completely hers. So lame rulah aidim, the good aidim should be able to say, my avsidah, what loss did we cause you? If you would have sold it, so the tovas hanah, as tovas hanah for the discounted raid, baal have a shakil, minach, the husband would have taken from you anyway. So Amar of Shalman says, that's not a raya. Because bottom line is, if the husband would have taken it and reinvested it, he would have reinvested it in house-related matters. And if it had been reinvested in house-related matters, who would have ended up benefiting from it anyway? She would. So the fact, so therefore she still ends up losing because they made her, they lied about the ksuvas. You can't say, well, the husband would have taken it. The way the husband would have taken it and reinvested it would have been for the household and she would have ended up benefiting it and therefore they did cause her a loss. Amarova. So the halacha is tovas anola isha. The halacha is that the discounted benefit, the rate that, that she has in it, belongs completely to hers. Ve'ena bal ochel peres, and he does not have yisufrukti rights over it. My time. What's the reason? Peirat akinale rabban. When the chachamim gave the husband the yisufrukti rights in assets 
that are brought into the marriage, it's peira, they gave the peira, meaning that they have the spin-off of the direct property itself. But peira de peira, but secondary payrolls. Now this is a little complicated, but it means, it means but something that uh, is a, a, an, another benefit that does not tie in directly to the original, to the, to the usage of the item that they don't, that he, that, that, that he does not have a right to. It means you want to tell me that she has a piece of property and now she can't, she has to allow him to use that property. That's direct benefit from the property that she brought in. All right? Ha- having her using it in any other way detracts. But in the case over here where she sold the property, what would she have been able to have got from it? So if she would have sold it, she would have got 6000 from it. That's not a direct that's not using it as payrolls of the property. That is not something that we would say is that he has a right to pay to payroll. Lo takin l'rabbonon, the Chachamim did not establish for him. Adam, I'm going to stop over here. We're going, I want to continue from the literally like one, one or two lines on the top of Pei Tes Amit Beis. All right, so it's got another fact, 15 lines. We're going to continue from the top of Pei Tes Amit Beis.